Now, the science of passing on traits from one generation to the next is a fascinating process. Whether it's physical attributes, personality traits, behavioral patterns, life choices, we are shaped by those who have gone before. I know a family that was separated by divorce. The youngest son was way too young to have remembered his biological father. In his 30s, the two had the opportunity to meet, and it was uncanny just how similar they were. Their sense of humor, their mannerisms, and so many things that were passed on in spite of the fact that they had been apart for over 30 years. When I was working in the hospital setting, I was working with a teenage girl. She was 16 years old, and one of the challenges that we were facing was how she was going to tell her mother that she was pregnant. What she didn't know was that her mother was pregnant when she was 16, and she gave up that child for adoption and never told her that. What she also did not know was that that older half-sibling also got pregnant when she was 16 years old. Statistically, that's next to impossible in the grand scheme of things. How is it that things are passed on from one generation to another? We are created in the image of God. We reflect him. Who he is has been passed on to us in how it is that we reflect him. Oh, but we live in a world filled with sin. We are sinful and that image, that reflection of God is marred significantly. Oh, but then we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as his adopted children, we are on a journey toward being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And today, as we continue in our series on hope, today we face the confident hope that we will indeed be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a guarantee. It is a promise. We are in week four of our six-week series. By way of review, our first week we talked about hope as the desperate need of all people. We talked about the fact that gaining hope, embracing hope, is founded initially on our fear, our awe of God. When we put that in proper perspective, we can move toward embracing hope. In that journey through this life and through our difficulties, hope is embraced along the road of lament. We said that lament is when we turn to God, when we bring our requests to him, when we give him our troubles, and when we ultimately land in a confident hope that he is in charge no matter what. Week two, we talked about a no-so hope, not a hope-so hope, a confident something that we can know. That the promise of God for what we will obtain and that this life is not all there is, that this life cannot compare to what is to come, and that all of the troubles that we face here are utterly temporary. Last week, week three, we talked about our ultimate hope being the return of Christ and our eternal home. And that should lead us to be ready any minute for Christ's appearing. That we should be good stewards of the one life that God has given to us. And that we should seek the kingdom first. Today we are going to be talking about our hope of the conformity to Jesus Christ. 
Next week, we're going to talk about the hope that leads to purpose in this life. If you remember last week, I said that was going to be this week. And the more I studied, the more I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to move that because of what I feel really needs to be shared today. Our biblical definition of hope is that hope is the confident trust in the promises of God about that which is yet to take place. And our verse for this entire series, and I'm going to ask you to stand up this week again. We're going to say it out loud together. We'll do this each week. Our hope is that you would commit this verse to memory, and we're going to say this out loud together. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Lord, thank you for one of the elements of our confident no-so hope, the assurance that we are in this life being conformed to the image of Christ and that one day we will reflect him. God, we're grateful for that. Walk with us today as we understand more about what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ and the process that we are walking through in this life today. We pray in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. When I was a teenager, I gave a birthday card to my father. And it said, Dad, you have molded my character. You've molded my values. You've molded my priorities. Happy birthday from old moldy. (laughs) And you know, my dad has shaped so much about me. And as a parent, there were things that I said as a child, I am never going to do that to my kids. And then I have kids. And guess what happens? I do that exact same thing. And I go, ah, I said I would never do that. There's some wonderful qualities that I have because of my dad and some eh, not as so wonderful qualities that I have that I can trace back to him as well. We are all formed and shaped in this life. And we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. One of our primary passages for today is found in Romans 8, verse 29. And it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, here it is, to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It is a promise. It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank that when it's all said and done, you will be in the image of God's son and that this life is part of the journey in getting there. Pastor Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers in the nation today, said he wants to make us clones of Christ, people who mirror Christ's character and conduct. So what we're doing in this life over the course of time is being molded in character and in conduct to Jesus Christ. Many of you have heard this adage before that in life as we as we move through life, you will be the only Jesus that some will ever see. And as you are shaped into his image, In both character and conduct, you reflect that into the world around you. We have a problem, though. In spite of the assurance that we will be like Jesus, the problem is that today, 
I often don't so much want to look like Jesus, nor do I want to go through the process that it takes in order for me to get there. When I look in the mirror, I go, huh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with how much I look like Jesus today. Do I really want to go through what it takes to be conformed in this journey to his image? And if I'm honest, some days not. And that's because the journey of following Jesus and becoming like him is an awful lot like the potter and the clay, which is illustrated multiple places in the scriptures. That the potter has to take the clay and he has to mold it and he has to beat it and he has to shape it and he has to work out the impurities and he has to soften it. And sometimes that process is challenging. It's kind of like a, a sculptor in the marble. What, re- is result, what results is a beautiful image in marble, but what it takes is a hammer and a chisel that oftentimes is difficult. My family and I had the opportunity to be in the ancient city of Corinth this past summer. And I was so amazed at the number of sculptures that they were able to unearth. Statues, some of them enormous, some of them 30 feet tall of sculpted marble. It took a lot to get, to get them there. A beautiful product, but a lot of challenging work along the way. I remember when I was a child, when I had a sore throat, my mother would break out that awful green bottle of chloroseptic. Anybody had chloroseptic sprayed in their throat when they were a kid? Come on, raise your hand. All right, all right, quite a few of you. Well, at least today they've come out with the cherry version, right? It doesn't taste like cherry, and I know that. It's just all a front to, so that you can fib to your kids that it tastes like cherry. And I remember how awful that was for about five seconds, the coughing and the sputtering. But then certainly my throat felt better. It was numbed. I was like the relief. Oh, but I had to go through those few short seconds of coughing and sputtering. And it's like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. You know, I have had a heck of a time getting my children to succumb to chloroseptic when they had a sore throat. Somehow they would just rather suffer than go through the few seconds of coughing and sputtering that it takes to get there. And sometimes we would rather suffer with how we are than to go through the sharpening process of Jesus to get us where he wants us so that we look a little bit more like him. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus and in part the good work that he is doing in you and he's doing in me that he will bring to completion is a reflection of him. Remember, we've said that the gospel, salvation, has three essential phases. The first one is justification. That's when we accept Jesus Christ. We are moved from darkness into light. We are regenerated. We are reborn. We we stand justified before the living God. Then we launch out on a journey. The process of sanctification. That's what we're going to talk about today. Where we become like Christ more and more. And then ultimate glorification which is truly fully being conformed into his image when we get to our final destination. Now that word sanctification is a very churchy sounding word. We don't use that very much in our day-to-day living. 
Let's unpack that just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That word sanctified is the Greek word hagiazo, and it means to separate out, to make holy. The process that we are in in this life is being consistent, more and more separated out in our character and our conduct to the things of Christ. We aren't separated from the world. Jesus made it clear. We talked about this last week. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And in this roadway, as we walk through life, rubbing up against people in this world, we are spiritually separated out over time. First John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. <laughs> I don't know what that day is going to look like, but I'm really excited about that moment when we get to see Jesus face to face for the very first time. And we get to look at ourselves and go, Wow. All right, Jesus, good job. You clean me up. John MacArthur says, when Christ returns, he shall conform every believer to his image, his nature. As at Christ's return, the believer will experience ultimate conformity to his likeness. And then the expositor's Bible commentary adds a very, very critical element that we are going to talk about today. Sanctification is the one area in the Christian life that requires human cooperation. Now, let me say this. Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is going to bring you into conformity to his image. We can do that the harder way or the less harder way. Our cooperation will determine whether this goes the hard way or the really hard way. My son Adam graduated from high school this summer. I believe I've shared this before. You know, at a graduation party, often they'll put out little cards that says, give some advice to your graduate. Okay, so and my brother, who's literally one of the smartest people that I know, gave the most simple, profound advice to Adam. He wrote, life is hard. Life is harder when you're stupid. Don't be stupid. Let's pray. All right. No, seriously, like you can, you will be conformed into the image of Christ. We, be, we are less stupid when we cooperate with the process of becoming like Christ. And I'm going to give four thoughts about what it means for you and for me to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. The first one is this. In the journey of conformity to Christ... It begins with our cooperation when we seek to know him. Seek to know him. Paul says in Philippians, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, everything is nothing to me except knowing Christ. Now, this is very interesting. There's this interesting time period between Paul's embracing of Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and Paul launching out in his ministry to do his missionary journeys. There were three of them that we know of and the writing of virtually half of the New Testament. There was a time period in there. We're not really sure how long it was or exactly what he was doing, but we have a hint. In Galatians chapter 1, it talks about Paul not going directly to Jerusalem and interacting with all the disciples, but he went off to Arabia. And if you're just reading the scriptures quickly, you, you read right over that. It's kind of, it seems like an ancillary passage, not much theology there, just a, a little narrative explanation. And scholars generally agree that it was during that time period that Jesus was training Paul for what was to come. In that time period, however many years it was, Paul was in study, a time period that is not recorded in Scripture, that fully prepared him to launch forward and to endure all that was ahead and to preach the gospel and to write half of the New Testament. And I find myself thinking, what did he not know after that? Like, he went through all of that, and still, later in his life, in the prison epistle of Philippians, he says, everything is lost except for this one thing, knowing Christ. There's, there's still more that you needed to know? And if Paul had more to learn about Jesus in his journey, how much more do we how much more do we? And the question that we are forced to consider today is in my personal journey toward confirmation to, of being conformed to the image of Christ, am I doing everything I can to know Jesus better? Because when I do, the Holy Spirit shows up in that process, conforming me more to the image of Jesus Christ. Arthur Burns was the chair of the Federal Reserve from 1970 to 1978. He was an economist and a Jewish man. He was invited to a gathering of evangelical pastors where he was asked to pray. And he said, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then he closed by saying, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. If I asked you as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you know him? And you could tell me many things. You could tell me that he died on the cross. You could tell me what that means to you about your eternal salvation. You could talk to me about some of the things that Jesus did in the gospels, perhaps healings and speaking in parables. But the question remains, do you know Jesus Christ? You know a lot about him for sure. 
But do you more and more each day know him? Do you know him? Let me put it a different way by this illustration. If I asked you, what is the length of the Verrazano Bridge that connects Staten Island to Brooklyn? You would pull out your smartphone and a quick internet search away, you would be able to tell me that it is 2.2 miles long. It was the longest suspension bridge of its time, taking 10 years to complete from 1959 to 1969. It's 13 lanes wide, seven on the top level, six on the bottom level, with the central span being just under a mile long, a masterful feat of engineering. But if you had an opportunity to sit down with an 85-year-old geezer who had the opportunity to work several years of his life building the Verrazano Bridge, you would have a very different perspective on what it means to know about the Verrazano Bridge. So I ask the question again. Do you know Jesus as part of a internet search question away from knowing some things about him? Or do you spend your life considering everything of this world loss by comparison with the relentless pursuit of knowing Jesus? Because in that pursuit, the Holy Spirit shows up and you are transformed into the image of God to Jesus in your pursuit. Engaging the journey of conformity to Christ, one of our hopes, our confident assurances at the end of time, it begins with seeking to know him. Number two, the second thing today, the second element of cooperation, if you will, is built on submission to him. It's built on submission to him. Back to that passage in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, we are encouraged to enjoy all things in life. Life has been given to us as a great gift from God. The resources that you have are a gift from God for you to enjoy. Go on that vacation, take that cruise, buy that new car, whatever it happens to be, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But by comparison, as you submit to God and consider all that as nothing and raising up your journey with him as the top priority. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, And he said to them all, that's Jesus, of course, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We've covered this passage many times before. We've talked about how the idea of carrying your cross today in our environment has become known as kind of carrying a burden. When I say carry my cross, it means carrying a burden. And we said that's not what it means biblically at all. And you're like, yeah, I remember that. Can you explain that again for me? I've kind of forgotten. Sure. Biblically, Carrying a cross was the last and final act of submission before going to death. When Jesus says carry your cross, he isn't talking about picking up a burden. He's talking about submitting to him. He's saying if anyone would come after me, he must submit to me. Because when you do that, you consider my priorities above your own and your own life as nothing. And when you do that, you will find your life. If you seek your life first, 
you will lose it. You will lose it. Submitting to God can be a challenge. It may not be what we want to do. Even Jesus in the garden in Luke chapter 22 said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In Jesus's humanity, he did not want to go to the cross. He knew in his deity what this was going to take. He knew what the cost was. He not only knew the physical pain that was about to occur, he also knew the emotional issues related to the father placing the sins of the world on his shoulders. And he did not want to do it. But he submitted himself to the father. And one of the ways that we cooperate in being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is when we submit to him even when we don't want to. I had the privilege in one of the sweetest times in my journey as a pastor to be the executive pastor of Frontline Ministries at McLean Bible Church. It was the young adult ministry of that church. It launched in 1994. I joined the ministry just as a typical congregant in 1995, and I was hired to be part of the pastoral team in 1997. In 2001, McLean Bible Church moved into the Tyson's campus, which is right down the road on Route 7. At that time, there was an auditorium that was built that seats 1,100 people. That's at the rear of the building. Now there is the front end of the building is a 2,500 seat auditorium as well. At that time, we were meeting on Sunday nights in that auditorium, 1,100 seats in the back, and we filled that room twice on Sunday nights. We had over 2,000 young adults that came to worship Jesus Christ. And every single Sunday night, I stood there pinching myself, could not believe what God was doing and the movement of the Holy Spirit in that ministry and that I got to be a part of it. The senior pastor of that ministry was a man by the name of Ken Baugh. He was invited by McLean Bible Church to come out in 1994 to start that ministry, and he did not want to come. And by his own admission, there were visible heel heel marks across the entire United States from California to Northern Virginia that were his heel marks all the way here because he did not want to come and God drug him across the country. And when he left, after many years of service to go back to California, he still didn't want to be here. He always wanted to be back there. But submitting to God, he came and God blessed that ministry through him because he submitted to God's call to do what he was asking him to do. And some of you here today were there during those time, that time period. And are following Jesus today because of frontline ministries. Because a man submitted to God when he didn't want to. Engaging the journey of conforming to Christ. One of our greatest hopes. In participating with that. Number one is that we seek to know him. Number two. It's built on submission to him. Number three. It's with a recognition that it's a process that takes time. It's a process that takes time. 
Second Corinthians chapter three says, and we all know with unveiled, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And that idiom, one degree of glory to another implies over the course of time, this takes place for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Back to Philippians chapter three. Not that I have already obtained this conformity to Christ, the end game, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own at this point yet. That's still in process. It's still yet to come. I'm still moving in a direction. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on in this journey that takes time toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, which is my ultimate home in heaven and my conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says, the more we grow in knowledge and experience with Jesus in this life as we walk with him, the more he is revealed in us. And as we do that, you become the Jesus that some people will only ever see. The phrase child prodigy by definition is when there is a child who is under 10 who produces meaningful output in some domain that is at a level of an adult expert. We've all seen this. Some kid sits down at a piano, he's like eight, and suddenly his hands are all over that keyboard. And you're like, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Inevitably, there's some little Asian kid, and you're like, what are they, what's in the water over there? Like, it's amazing. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a child prodigy. He lived in the 1700s and he started composing in both violin and piano at the age of five. He died at age 35. He was very young. With over 800 works to his name. Many of these compositions are acknowledged as pinnacles of the symphonic, concertante, chamber, operatic, and choral repertoire. I don't even know what half of those words mean. (laughs) He was a child prodigy, a genius, who at a very young age showed a level of expertise far beyond adults. And let me say it this way. There are no spiritual child prodigies. There are no spiritual child prodigies. We are conformed to the image of Christ over time. Over time. And our willingness to pursue Jesus, to submit to him, And embrace that this takes time is part of our contribution to being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Fourth and finally, 
Engaging the journey of conformity to Christ often involves suffering. And you're like, ugh, do you have to say that again? I don't like hearing you say that. You seem to say that a lot. I do. And I'm going to stop saying it under two circumstances. One is when we all stop suffering. That's not happening. Or two, when we all stop whining about the suffering that we have. Because we all struggle with suffering. And the day we all stop struggling with suffering is the day that we can stop talking about God's purposes in suffering. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the depth of Jesus. I don't like that part so much. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. I like that part. I just don't like what it takes to get there. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, those things are eternal. I was reading an article this past weekend about a tech executive in his 40s who's worth millions of dollars, who is spending millions of dollars to try to crack the code on aging. He's meeting with doctor after doctor. The article said that he takes over 111 pills per day. Now, I'm all about taking supplements and your vitamins. I'm all about healthy exercise and a a, a healthy diet, all to take care of the temple that God has provided for us to move through life in. But this man is on a fool's errand. He's on a fool's errand. Oh, he may add a few years to his life. He may look a little better at 80 than the average 80-year-old. I don't know. But I hate to break it to him. He's going to die. He will. At some point. And, 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 and he's going to go, ah, gosh, it just hurts a little more getting out of bed this, time, this week. We are to focus on the things that are unseen. And sometimes it is the pain of this world, the suffering of this world that's transforming us into the image of Jesus. And we need to fix our eyes on him and not on that. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, By sharing in the sufferings of Christ that is based on having the mind of Christ, the believer is gradually being made into his likeness. This is the essence of sanctification. Followers of Jesus Christ are like a tea bag. The beauty of who we are in Christ is often only seen when we're placed in hot water for a time and then given a bit of a squeeze. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to count yourself and this life as dead. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, your very life, for me to live is Christ, then you will appear with him in glory, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have, here we go, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, Jesus Christ. As part of our series on hope, one of my desires is that you would reach out and embrace the hope that we have, the confident assurance that we are on a journey toward conformity in Jesus Christ. It is your destiny. And it is also my prayer that you wouldn't look in the mirror and go, I'm happy with how much I look like Jesus right now. But that you would cooperate, that you would participate from the human vantage point in the conforming process through four things. One, recognizing that this conformity journey begins from our vantage point with seeking to know him. Are you doing everything you can this very day, tomorrow and the next day? Do you have a passion to know Jesus? Not just to know about him, not to say all the high level critical elements about who he is and what he did and what salvation means, but as you walk deeply with him each day, as you meet him in his word, as you study his life, that you would seek him. And that as you do that, you would renew your willingness to submit to him. Is Jesus calling you to do something today that you don't want to do? Is he? Is there something that needs to change? Something in your life that needs to stop being in your life? Something that's not in your life that needs to be in your life? A relationship that needs to be pursued that you don't really want to. Maybe there's some conflict there that you would just as soon let go by. Is there an issue of integrity or honesty or financial responsibility or we could go on? That Jesus is calling you to do. When you submit to him in that, whatever that thing is, You are transformed just a little bit more into the image of Jesus. Just a little bit more. You look more like him because of your willingness to say yes. Are you willing to embrace that this is a process that takes time? Some of us are struggling with ourselves today, beating ourselves up because of this issue or that issue in our lives. Struggling to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ that uh, this just takes, it's taking a little longer than I was hoping that it would. I'd like for that one thing to be gone. It takes time. Are you willing to embrace the reality and lean into suffer, the suffering of life rather than just wishing that it would go away? Howard Levin has been a partner in ministry 
with me for the last 25 years. He has a nonprofit called One Heart DC where he links pastors and ministries and nonprofits all over the region. He's a one-man show that has done some amazing, amazing things for the glory of God. The founding of Reset 180, the anti-human trafficking ministry here in Sterling and the area was his brainchild. And when several of us pastors jumped on board, we made it happen together. And now we have a poignant ministry that helps extricate overwhelmingly women, young women, from the bonds of human trafficking. Last Thursday, Howie went to be with the Lord. It was just a few months. He was living in a vigorous, active life, and then suddenly the inoperable brain tumor diagnosis, and then he's gone. And it's one of those situations you're like, Lord, come on. We needed him longer. So much work to be done. Who's going to pick up the mantle? No one can do what he does. Only God gets to decide those things. My point in this illustrating it is this. Over the last several months, I have never seen a couple in my 45 years of walking with Jesus, seek him, submit to him, embrace the process, and lean into suffering without complaint, like Howie and Judy live in. Not one time. Every journal entry on their uh, Caring Bridge post was about how God was showing up, how God was transforming. And Judy's last entry, right after Howie went to be with Jesus, was a declaration that Howie had gotten as far as Jesus needed him to be in the transforming process and then he was going to call him home. Oh, that I would be a man who seeks Jesus, submits to him, embraces the process and submits to his journey of suffering for the sake of the eternal hope, my home in heaven and being conformed to the image of Christ. And that's my prayer for every single one of us here today. You have a hope. You will be conformed to Jesus. We can do it the hard way or the harder way. And the hard way is seeking him, submitting to him, embracing the process and leaning into the suffering that inevitably occurs on the journey just like Jesus did himself. Jesus leaned into the suffering If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ here today, then the call to hope begins with the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Without placing your faith in him for that hope, there is no further discussion about hope. Next week, our discussion on meaning and purpose in this life, meaningless to you. If you don't get things in the proper order, the first order of business for you is placing your hope in Jesus Christ because there is no hope in this life in our own efforts, in our own religiosity, to seek or to gain God's favor in any way. It doesn't work that way. And we're going to go to prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you're struggling with hope, if you're struggling with your eternal destiny and what that means, if you're struggling with the suffering of your life, I want to invite you to put all those things in order by asking Jesus Christ 
to be your Lord and Savior today. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to pray through these four elements and that you would recommit your life to seeking him, to submitting to him, and to embracing the process that often includes suffering even right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to know Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that he submitted to the suffering of his own earthly existence. Lord, we read through the Gospels and we ask, was all of this necessary? Did he really have to be rejected? Did he have to be beaten within an inch of his life? Did he have to be crucified? Couldn't it have been an easier way? Couldn't he have died in a, in a more humanitarian sort of way? Clearly not. Father, I pray that we would embrace our part in the journey toward conformity to Christ. And Father, I pray for any among us today who are not followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that the hopelessness of this life and of no confidence in eternity would be so poignant to them this very minute that they would have no choice but to cry out to you. Father, I pray that they wouldn't suppress those hopeless feelings, but recognize that they are a critical part of embracing the reality that I need a Savior. I can't embrace a Savior if I don't believe that I'm a sinner. If I don't believe that my life is hopeless without you. And I pray that they would simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know that I have no hope in this life or eternity without embracing you as my Savior that I might be justified in your eyes, Lord God, and be embraced as an adopted child of the living God. Oh Lord, I pray that they would make that decision today and find the joy of eternal hope in Jesus Christ and a life that can have hope in the ultimate return of Christ, our eternal home, and our conformity to the image of Jesus Christ that starts now in this process we call sanctification, being set apart unto Christ. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.